as we're finishing this series, we've, we've now come through three different conversations about sex. And so all of them are online. If you want to go back to iTunes and, and search Weekly Collide Podcast, you can find them and download them. Those are usually the longer versions. The Wednesday night ones get shorter because we guinea pig you guys and go, man, we talked for 45 minutes. We're going to have to shorten that down. Um, they're also on the Youth Ministry website. You can go and look at, uh, listen to them there. The first week we talked about the what and the why about sex. And, and our goal was to figure out from a biblical standpoint why God gave us sex so that we can then determine what the definition of sex is. The reason why we threw that out first and reason why we put that as a, as a priority front burner conversation for our students is because quite honestly, we have a lot of students who think that sexual intercourse is sex, and that everything else is fair game. But once you understand that that God gave us sex as a gift to provide ultimate intimacy between a man and a woman in a forever bond, that helps you understand all of the pieces that that also lead towards that. Uh, The second week, we were down in here, and Chris Washington, who's one of our senior small group ministers, talked us through the topic of digital sex. We talked about pornography. We talked about sexting, which I listened to his message. I don't remember him saying this, but let me, let me just tell you this in case you go, man, that's not probably our world. The, the rumors, and again, rumors probably often are unfounded, but there's also usually some, some truth in rumors. There were stories going around about one of our local middle schools that, that students were talking about, an epidemic of eighth grade girls sexting boys, sending nude pictures to them. Maybe it's not happening. But if the conversation is happening that it's happening, it's probably founded in some truth, at least a little bit. So it is a real world issue. And then Last week, we talked about temptation, and we talked about, man, if sex is out there and we're inundated, what do we do as believers, as people who are following Jesus, to avoid temptation so that we don't come crashing down into sin? So through this, this series, if nothing else, I think for some of our parents, and I know for some of our students that I've even heard verbal feedback from, if nothing else, we've come to the conclusion, we've got an understanding of the weight and the power of sex, and, and that it is not a frivolous topic. It is something, again, this great gift that God's given us, but it's, it's a heavy topic. It's a, it's a powerful thing, and for some of us, some of us, we felt the weight of that, and we feel like a guy named Patrice Moore. You, you don't know Patrice Moore. This happened years ago, but Patrice Moore lived in New York City in a little 10-foot by 10-foot room. Now, one of the things that made Patrice different than maybe most of us is he was or could have been diagnosed as a hoarder. His room was full of catalogs and junk mail and books and newspapers, magazines stacked up in this small 10 foot by 10 foot room from floor to ceiling. He became newsworthy when one morning, I don't know how it happened, but a domino effect was triggered and all of his collection of newspapers and catalogs and books All those things came crashing down, all the things he had hoarded, and they literally trapped him in his own room standing up. Imagine that. I mean, just couldn't even move anywhere because it was such a small room, and all of his junk came crashing down, and he, he was left standing in his room where he could not move for two days until the neighbors heard him moaning and crying out for help. They called the firefighters. The firefighters hauled off over 50 garbage bags of trash 
in order to get him out of that room and save him. The win of this series is that we have some students be confronted with the word of God and some conversations with parents and some conversations in their small group that the Holy Spirit uses to help them understand the weight of sex, to help them understand the power of it. Remember a couple weeks ago we said it's like, it's nuclear, it's like a nuclear power plant. It does great things when it's inside the confines for which it was made, but outside of those confines it become very dangerous. The win is that some students get that and make some decisions for their life that will, that will follow through with them through to marriage and through marriage. The danger is that we have some students or maybe some parents, some adults, who have some sexual sin in their life, that conviction has already been there, shame and guilt have already been a a part of their lives, and now over the last three weeks that shame and guilt was already there, but now that we've, we've been able to wrestle with how heavy and how important sex is, the shame and guilt have made us feel like Patrice Moore that everything came crashing down on us and we're trapped and we're hopeless. If that's you, or if that's your student, who I'm going to share this message with on Wednesday night, we save this till the very end to kind of move into summer on a high note because I want you to know it is not hopeless. I want us to, to conclude this series understanding that even If we have sinned sexually, there will be consequences for sexual sin. But even if we've sinned sexually, we're not trapped in a hopeless situation. That is what the devil would love for you to feel. If you're in here and you go, hey, I I did everything right. When I got married to my husband or my wife, I was a virgin. We've been faithful to one another all along. I don't have any issues with pornography. Sexual sin is not an issue for me. And we've raised our kids in, in spite of a, a, a media onslaught that is, that is filling them full of temptation and things like that all the time. We've raised our kids in such a way that, that they're good. This, this recovering from sexual sin message doesn't really apply to me. I want you to know that it applies to you as well because it applies to all of the people or many of the people that you come in contact with on a regular basis. And I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which is going to be hard for me to flip in my Bible and hold this microphone. 2 Corinthians 5. I want us to start, this isn't going to be the verse that we lean in on today, but I want us to, to look at verse 17 to 9, through 19 to bring us all on the same page. If you're struggling with sexual sin, you've, you've messed up in the past, it's going to apply to you. If it doesn't, you feel like it doesn't, look at what verse 17 says. Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Incredible passage of scripture about what it means to have Jesus come in your life and make you new. But look what he says next, verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to him. Sorry, I lost my place not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So what that means, we talk about this this ministry of reconciliation, 
is if you came in this morning and you're having a conversation with your students and you've done it right and your students have done it right and you, there's really nothing to talk about because no one in our family struggles with sexual sin. We have been faithful. This is a message to you because God has given you the ministry of reconciliation. He's given you a call to step into other people's lives and help them turn around and face the Lord. And so some of this, this passage of scripture in Ephesians that we're going to look at here in a minute, you need to memorize. You need to get it into your heart because it might be the tool that God gives you sometime this week when you're talking to a friend, you're talking to a neighbor, one of your, your teenager's friends comes over and they're struggling with sexual sin, that you become the person who is then giving them the ministry of reconciliation, helping them find forgiveness, helping them find healing, helping them walk out of shame and guilt and hopelessness. So this message that we're going to lean in on this week applies to everybody in the room, whether you've messed up or not. Now here's what happens, and this is what Satan does, and he's, he's fantastic at this. Satan will take a student or an adult, and, and, and you know, often maybe an adult more than a student, and Satan will try to convince you that if there's been sexual sin in your life, that, that you have, you've messed up, that there is no hope for you. And I say sometimes for adults, it's more than students because we might have a longer track record. We might have a student that is, is addicted to pornography. And they might be 17 years old, 18 years old, and they discovered pornography at 11, and they've been, they've been struggling through that addiction for seven years. But for an adult who might be in their 40s or 50s, <coughs> they might have discovered it 30 years ago, and they're still struggling with that same sin. They've never found freedom from that. Sometimes it's easier for Satan to go, listen, it's been three decades of your life that there is no hope for you. If there was hope, you would have, you'd think in 30 years of going to church and trying to follow Jesus, you would have found it. But it ain't coming. It's not going to happen. And that is a lie of the devil. There's a story of a young lady named Brittany. Brittany uh, grew up in a home that was not following the Lord. She didn't know anything about who Jesus was. When she went to college, in order to make ends meet, she started dancing. A AKA stripping. If you don't, I mean, the doors are closed. I can tell you what it is. <laughs> to make money, she made good money. Pretty early on in, the, in her dancing career, some movie producers came to her and said, hey, we would love for you to start working in the movie industry. You're beautiful. People will love you. What, what she didn't know is it was some producers that were sending her to some B-flick movies with, with the plans of moving her into the pornography industry. And she said that first day, that first day at work, and she felt extremely loved. She was in makeup, and she was in hair, and people were telling her how beautiful she was. But it quickly faded. She stayed in the pornography industry for seven years. During that time, there were days where she made upwards of $3,000 per day in the industry. That's a lot of money. But she said from her own mouth that that amount of money did not numb the pain and the emotional emptiness that she felt from being a pornographic film star. She quickly turned to alcohol and drugs became both an alcoholic and a drug addict. But it just so happened that God engineered circumstances that Brittany would come across a, a, and become an acquaintance of a lady named Rachel. 
Now, Rachel works for triplexchurch.com. Triplex Church is, uh, we've talked about them before. That's who I use on my computers to, uh, it doesn't block pornography, but it's a system that if anything on my computer goes to pornographic website, it sends an email to my accountability partner and to my wife. So it really helps you fight temptation when you know you're going to have to get an account for what you're going to, what you're going to look at. And so use them. One of the things that's interesting about triplexchurch.com is they, will, they go to um, the pornography conventions, which I didn't know there was conventions, but they'll rent out ballrooms and the actors and actresses are there and people come and just like any other type of convention, they have those. Triple X Church will rent a booth and do ministry there. And they will pass out flyers and, and talk with people. Well, Brittany met a young lady named Rachel at one of those conventions, and they just developed really an acquaintance-based friendship as Rachel tried to love on her and tell her about Jesus. Some years ago, Brittany trusted Jesus Christ with her life, and she wrote a letter to Triple X Church because she wanted to make sure Rachel knew what happened. This video, if it works, which I think it will, is her reading the letter that she wrote to Rachel. I want you to hear it. My name is Brittany. I used to be an adult star. I met Rachel several times at the Exotica conventions. She would know me as Jenna Pesley. I would stop by at the Triple X church booth to see her. She is so beautiful, and I absolutely love and adore her. I want to give her the most amazing praise report. Thank you, Jesus. I found him. I'm home. It's been a long seven-year journey of porn, prostitution, stripping, drugs, alcohol, and several failed suicide attempts. But I made it. Little did I know, little did I ever know that I would stumble upon the Triple X Church again since leaving the adult industry. I could not believe my eyes when I realized, wow, these are the Jesus Loves Porn Star people. Then I saw Rachel's picture, and I just had to let her know that I'm saved. I want to thank her for all of her kind words and loving spirit. I don't know if she realizes how she impacted me or not, but her being so kind and non-judgmental always felt so good. I never felt love in my life and was looking for it in all the wrong places. It felt great to speak to a woman as beautiful as Rachel, who would tell me that I was her favorite and just to have a normal, non-porn girl talk. Please tell her that I thank her from the bottom of my heart and I will never forget what she has done for me. I will be attending the seminar in September, and I cannot wait to see her completely in a different light. I have finally encountered the unconditional love of God, and I will never go back. Thank you for your time. Sincerely, Brittany. Sex is a heavy topic. Sex is a powerful gift that God's given. And what I said earlier, Satan will try to convince you and he'll try to convince your students that, that if they have messed up and they have sinned sexually, that there is absolutely no hope for them, that God has turned his back on them, that, 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 that they, they will never recover. They're not going to have a, a healthy marriage. They're not going to have healthy kids, spiritually growing kids. That's, that's the lie of the devil. The reason why I wanted you to see that video and the reason why I want our students to see it is because if God can take a young lady who was a stripper and spent seven years in the porn industry making literally thousands of movies and can be addicted to drugs and addicted to alcohol. And if Jesus Christ can reach into her heart and redeem her and change her, 
I'm guessing we're all good. I, I doubt that anybody in this room, and I'm pretty sure none of our students, have the sexual history that Brittany has. And so I want you to understand that Satan, through this conversation with your kids, and the reason why you need to continue this conversation for the next several months and several years is because the enemy is not going to stop his conversation, and his conversation is going to be, there is no hope. But I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1, because that is where we're going to land this week. And we're going to read some context. We're going to read Ephesians 1, 3 through 10. But we're going to come back and really just land on one verse all week long. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul is, is introducing this letter to the church at Ephesus. And, and in the first couple of chapters, he really leans in on a lot of theology. Theology is the study of God. And he's going to, he's going to give the Ephesians and us, as we read it today, some pictures of, of who God is and what God is like. And so in verse 3 he says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now that's a lot more than just a beautiful introduction to a New Testament letter. It's chock full of theology about God. But I want us to, to go back this week and look simply in verse 7. It's, it's the beginning of a sentence. It's the beginning of a train of thought. But we're just going to slowly walk through uh, three things that Paul says here. And what starts with this, he says, In him, in Jesus, we have, a, we have redemption through his blood. You know what redemption is? It's going to be a little bit more difficult to explain to a teenager because that's a, that's a big Bible word. But we understand what it means to redeem something. If you get something in the mail, we got um, a, a Double Dave's coupon in the mail the other day. And our family was very excited about it. In fact, yesterday we went over with our coupon, walked in the doors like we owned the place and thought, man, they should probably set these tables and chairs up in a better way. Got halfway to the counter. I looked at somebody and went, are y'all open? And they went, no, not till Monday. They went, okay, we'll see you later. But we were there with a coupon for some free pepperoni rolls. And what we were going to do with that coupon is we were going to redeem it. We were going to take that piece of paper that said free and we were going to transfer it to somebody at Devil Days. We were going to give them the coupon and they were going to trade us some pepperoni rolls for it. That, that's what the English word means. We're talking about to redeem something, a redemption. But in the New Testament, this word that Paul uses in Ephesians, it does mean the same thing, but it actually, it's a little bit stronger. It, it means to pay a ransom is what it means. So it's the same concept if someone got kidnapped and there was a ransom. They said, we have your child or we have your spouse. And for $2 million, you can redeem them. You can bring $2 million to the counter and we will trade you a child. 
That, that's redemption in its strongest term. I tell, I tell my kids all the time, like, if you ever get taken, just be yourself. They'll bring you back. And I don't have to worry. Just, just don't try to be nice. Just be your own self. And they'll come back and like, no, it's going to cost you money for us to take them back. Um, but that, that's the idea here. And so, so Paul says in verse 7, he says, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. We have experienced a buyback. We've experienced a trade because of the blood of Jesus. Now, there is a, a, a Greek Orthodox priest named Gervasio Raptopoulos. I cannot believe I nailed that on the first time. Gervasio Raptopoulos, I did it two times in a row. He has become famous because he's become this, this priest who has made it his ministry to buy people out of jail. In Greece, the economy is struggling. And so one of the things that the government has imposed is if you get arrested or you get put in jail for, for a minor offense, depending on how many days you've been sentenced to jail, you can buy yourself out of jail because there are hellish conditions inside the Greek jails and Greek prisons. The problem is, is that works great for people who are rich. If they get arrested for something and they get put in jail and they're going to serve a 60-day sentence for five euros a day, five euros times 60 days, they can stroke a check and walk out and the government says, hey, that's helping the economy, we'll let you go. But for the average person who can't afford five euros a day, they've got to wait out their time in jail. But this Greek priest has made it his ministry and mission to, to find people who have been arrested for minor offenses People who, while they're in jail, their children or their spouses are suffering because they might be the only wage earner or they might be a, a dad or a mom now that is no longer in the home. And he's gone and raised money and provided the redemption and the buyback to get those people uh, with these minor offenses out of prison. That, that's what this, this picture is. He, he's rescued over 15,000 people from jail. It's crazy. It's, it's, the, it's the buyback. It is, hey, you have committed a crime. You are guilty, but I will pay the fine. And so Paul tells us this, and we can apply this to sexual sin because it is absolutely true. In Jesus, your sexual sin that has separated you from God, your sexual sin that has kept you from, from living the life that God has created for you to have and, and wants you to have, that, that Jesus' blood has been the redemption or the buyback. So that when you go, man, I want, to, I want to have a relationship with God again. I want to walk away from this sin and I want to experience fullness of life. That doesn't mean there won't be consequences. But I want to experience the fullness of life sexually. Even though I've done this in the past, that Jesus' blood because, becomes the redemption and the buyback. For you to begin to walk in a new way. The problem for us is that it's, our sin isn't a minor offense. It's, a, it's, not a, it's not a Greek priest going, oh, they had a couple of traffic tickets. Let me buy their way out of jail. Our offense has been sin against a holy God. And Satan came along, if you remember last week, I gave the illustration of the bee uh, that went into the bottle and they put the cap on. The first time that you sinned, the how much question became irrelevant because one sin separated you from God. One sexual sin separated you from God. But the buyback, the redemption we see in, in verse 7 is come through Jesus' blood. But here's what else. Look at the next section. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. You know, there's, there's, there's a difference between 
being redeemed and being forgiven, right? There's a difference in, you know, when I was a kid, I've told the story before, so I want to tell the whole story. I, I got in trouble with the military police when I was in Germany for doing some foolish kid stuff. And, and, and I had to, they came and, and the military police kind of gave us the riot act. And then we discovered that the, uh, the minor offense that we had done was actually on German property, not on American property. So they sent us over to the Polizei, the German police, who, who scare eighth grade boys because they're, they're scary people. And they yell at you in another language and they're not compassionate. And they're yelling at us and, and giving us the what for. And we're like crying and shaking. And they sat us down, called our parents, and my dad came to pick us up. And I remember, luckily, I grew up in a home. I had two older brothers. My oldest brother was in trouble all the time. And so when my dad comes busting through the doors to the police station, I mean, he's hot. And I'm sitting there with two of my friends, and he looks at me, and he goes, where's your brother at? It's like, I don't know. I've been here for three hours. And he's like, wait, what? And I said, yeah, we're the ones they called you for. And he was like, oh, okay, get in the car. You know, I was like, man, it's a good time to have a brother that was always in trouble. And my dad was like, oh, you're never in trouble. But here's the thing. I, I can, I can be bought out of the MP station. That doesn't mean that I've been forgiven. It just means I'm not doing the, the time any longer. But scripture says this, that in him we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of our trespasses. That, that means if you have sexual sin in your life, not only has the penalty been paid, but God looks at you if you have a relationship with Jesus, if his blood has covered you, that God looks at you and he sees you as perfect. He sees you as righteous. That's hard for us to understand. Because often we don't see ourselves that way. And again, we have an enemy. Paul told us that our, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against spiritual forces. And that spiritual force has a name. His name is Satan. And Satan will come and lean to you and go, yeah, 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 yeah. I understand that that the Bible says you've been redeemed. And I understand that the Bible teaches that God sees you because of Jesus as righteous. That God does not hold your sin against you anymore. That he sees you as perfect because of the blood of Jesus. But that doesn't count for you. That's what Satan says. Because remember, you did this and you did that. And I mean, yeah, Jesus forgives sin. But your sin is horrifically worse than everyone else's. That's how Satan moves. And he goes, this may be true, but it's not true for you. Because your sin is way too big. But look at what Paul says in the last part of verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Your forgiveness and your redemption is not measured out by what you've done. It's measured out by the riches of the grace of God. And so our bottom line this week, what I hope you'll communicate to your teenagers over and over again, is our sin, our sexual sin, can never outweigh the grace of God. Never, ever, ever. There's nothing that you could... Brittany's sin could not outweigh the grace of God. God. God has so much grace for you that your redemption and your forgiveness is found in that. Sorry, I'm checking time with this here. Seniors headed that way. That, that's, that's a concept you've got to understand that it doesn't matter what you've done, the grace of God will outweigh that. That, that you're not going to be uh, covered up. 
so that leads us to one other question. I want you to go to Romans chapter 6. Sorry, it's hard for me to do this at the same time with this microphone. Because one of the things that Satan will then say, once we understand that, once we even begin to process that, you know what? God, through Jesus, has redeemed me. He's forgiven me. I'm seen as whole. My sexual sin has disappeared. God doesn't even see that anymore. And that it, it there's, there's, doesn't matter how much it is because it's, it's based on God's riches and his grace. The next thing that Satan begins to whisper is as soon as you begin to grasp that, is then go do whatever you want. Go do whatever you want. Go sin because all you need to do is come back to Jesus and ask for forgiveness. That, that's, that's the logical output of that. If, if God has bought me back and it's by his riches, then I can go sin right now. I can, I can continue in an addiction to pornography. I can continue an affair. I can continue a fantasy life. I can continue sleeping with my boyfriend or girlfriend because at the end of the day, I'm just going to come and ask Jesus for forgiveness. But Paul addresses that in Romans chapter 6. It's the last passage of scripture we're going to look at. Romans chapter 6 verses 1 and 2. That's the argument that people have posed to him. And he says this, he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Should we just, the more, the more I sin, the more grace I get. So let me just really go mess up. Let me just jump off the cliff because if I get to sin level 10, then I'll have grace level 10. And grace level 10 is better than grace level 3. And Paul answers that. He says, by no means, in the Greek, it's one of the strongest phrases you can have for, for no, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So it, it is not, it's not about a, a free pass. It's not about like, Hey, if Jesus can forgive me, I'll just keep on doing this. Because once you understand the cost of that redemption, his blood, when you understand that, all of a sudden that should make us go, because of the blood of Christ being shed for me, because of what Jesus did on the cross for me, I don't want to chase after my way of life anymore. That life ends in destruction anyway. I've already experienced guilt and shame. I've already experienced consequences for sin. And Jesus has redeemed it. He's forgiven me. He's poured out grace on me. That's what Ephesians 1, 7 says. And because of that, I want to run from this lifestyle. I want to run from these decisions. And I want to turn and face Jesus. And I want to walk that direction. That's what, that's what Paul tells us in Romans, connecting these things together. So what do you do? If you're, if you're a mom or a dad... And you've got sexual sin in your life that you've never dealt with or sexual sin in your life right now that you're not dealing with. Here's what you do. Step one is you repent and you start following Jesus. Repent doesn't mean saying I'm sorry. That's what we, we tend to do. We go, oh God, I'm sorry. And we find ourselves back in the same space again. Repentance means I'm turning 180 degrees away from my sin and I'm walking towards Jesus. I'm not going back to that lifestyle. That's what repent means. And if you're a believer and Jesus has been convicting you through this series, you've been getting to feel the weight of how important sex is and the sin in your life is causing conviction. Your response to that conviction is to say, God, I agree with you. That the way of life, my actions, my thoughts, and what I believe is not true. That it's the lie of the enemy. And I repent, I turn it 180 degrees, and I'm going to walk towards you. That might mean installing software on your computer. That might mean ending a relationship. That might mean quitting your job and getting a new one. I'll tell you this, if, if you're dealing with sexual sin in the workplace... And, and, and there's a, a lady or a guy there, and you go, well, I can't quit my job because I, I, need, I need this. 
You know, there's a pretty good chance you continue in that, you're going to lose your job anyway. You're going to lose your job and your marriage. So might as well get a head start on that and start getting wholeness and walking towards Jesus and start following him so that your sex life, your sexual ethic is a biblical sexual ethic. So if you're a believer, it's time to turn around and go, you know what, God, God, I'm done. I'm done with Satan's lies and I'm walking towards you. That might mean you get people in your life. It might mean a mentor. It might mean accountability partners. It might mean in a small group that you open up and you walk into the light and you start saying, hey, here's where I'm at. It might mean counseling. It's probably going to mean that if you're pretty deep in sexual sin. But that's your, that's your answer. It's repent. Start following Jesus. Now, if you came in this morning and you're not a believer and sexual sin has got a hold of you, here's your takeaway. It's going to be pretty easy to remember. It's repent and start following Jesus. It's the same exact thing. It's the same exact solution. The problem is if you're not a believer, you need to come to a first-time conclusion of who Jesus is and make the decision this morning to say, I'm going to follow Jesus with my life. Jesus, I will take the sacrifice that you gave, the redemption, your life from my life, and I'm going to make a decision to follow you and make you Lord of my life. That, that's what a believer did several years ago. But if they're caught in sexual sin, they made that decision. they just gotten off track. And they need to repent as well. They need to come back towards Jesus. And so if you came in this morning, or maybe been coming for months or years, I want you to hear this. You're here for a reason. You came, if not for you, you came for your kids. Because you're going, man, I want to figure out how to parent my kids. I want my kids to, have, uh, to understand truth. I want my kids to be good. Maybe that was the, the explanation, the reason why you're here. But, but let me just tell you this. And I'll plead with you if I have to. If you want your kids to experience abundant life, if you want your kids to experience healthy sexuality, and this is bigger than just the sex talk. This is in all of life. If you want your kids to experience that, the primary way research tells us and the scripture tells us that they're going to come into that understanding is if you're experiencing abundant life. If they see the work of God in your life and they're having conversations with you about what God is doing in your life and they see how God is moving you from darkness into light, that carries way more weight than anything that I'll say. Everything I say on a Wednesday night, they expect me to say. But when they start seeing the transformative work and the Holy Spirit on their mom or their dad, and they see their mom or dad broken for their sin, and they see their mom or dad willing to count the cost to follow Jesus, that says something that my messages on Wednesday night will never say. It says something that a small group minister that debriefs with them next Sunday about this says more than, than they'll ever be able to communicate. So if you don't have a relationship with Jesus... I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to ask you to choose Jesus. And I'm going to ask you at the end of the service to come find me and say, man, I I prayed with you. If you are a believer and you need to repent from sin, repent and start walking. Get the help. Get the people in your life to follow Jesus and make a better way. Let's pray real quick. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to pray this with me. If you want it. Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I believe that you died on the cross, Jesus. I believe that you were raised from the dead. And I want you to be Lord of my life. I want to love my children, God, as you love me. 
and I want to know what that looks like. Thank you for saving me. If you prayed that prayer in a minute, you're going to be in some small groups. Tell your small group. Come tell me. I'm going to have to run out of here to go grab these seniors and, and introduce them. But there's nothing more important than that decision that you just made. I'm going to close with this. In 1988, Yellowstone National Park caught fire. Burned over 800,000 acres. 36% of the park was decimated. Took 7,000 firefighters, 4,000 military out there, 11,000 people fighting those fires for months. The estimated damage in today's dollars, $240 million. That's quite a fire. That's a lot of damage. Do you know when they put that fire out? Within days. Literally within days, life started growing again. Because that's what God does. Some of you have walked a life that's blazed a trail behind you. Sexual sin, other sin, and Satan would convince you that you've burned so much that there is no hope, that your life is going to be charred wood, hopeless and empty. And if you'll just trust the gospel. That seed of the gospel begin to sprout new life. And if you go to Yellowstone today, you still see some of the marks of the fire. And sin's always going to have its consequences. But life is teeming and growing again. That can be you.